We've been going through the book of Galatians, but in the summer with everyone traveling, I thought it would change. And we're going to do a series of messages on current and current events. And what it will be is as you think about life events, current events, what is going on in the, in the news, in the world, and uh, just looking at that and how do we take those examples and relate it. What does the Bible say about that? Um, and so looking at some of those um, items we're going to be going through. But this morning it'll be, what do you do when you are wrongfully accused? Or if I were to put it in, a, in another way, you know, when you are maligned, how do you respond? Uh, do you stand up for yourself or do you just allow them to walk over you? Because sometimes we have that um, idea that as a Christian you just have to let everything happen to you. And so we're going to look at a couple examples. But turn if you would and we're going to read in the scripture. We'll start off with a, a passage of, we're going to look at an Old Testament and a New Testament example. But turn if you would to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. And two, example, two biblical examples we're going to look at is uh, 1 Samuel 24, and then we'll, um, later we'll read Matthew 5. And the example will be of David, and then also of Christ. And so this passage, uh, we'll just read uh, 1 through 24. Please follow along as I read. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Gedah. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he had come to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which, of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped and his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see, the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand will not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. 
Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the, is, that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Hold your spot, and I'll go back to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. I read a little bit out of order, but just to give you some background as well. 1 Samuel 18, verse 14 through 16. And we can find out a little bit of what um, initiated this conflict. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14 through 16 says... And starting even um, in verse 7, excuse me, where it says verse 6. Now it it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out in all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourine, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now go down to verse 14, and it says, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Shall we pray and we'll discuss the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives to us. Father, help us to understand your word and help us to apply it to our own lives. And Father, help us to be wise and to know your word. And Father, we just pray that we might have the mind of Christ, that we might follow after uh, the, the character and nature. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to know how to behave ourselves how to respond to the, both the negativity but also the antagonism that is toward both Christianity, toward Christians, toward um, ourselves. But Lord, help us to respond in a way which will honor and please you and not with our own minds. So we just ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One, uh, in doing research for these messages, it's, it's been always as, as you have followed the news. Uh, there's things going on with uh, just some names like Roseanne Barr and others who have just said things that are, are not correct. But even Morgan Freeman, if you're familiar with him, have you heard of Morgan Freeman? And just he had um, made a statement and CNN had accused him of uh, sexual harassment. And uh, what happens, he's, he responded as well and says that, you know, CNN has inflicted serious injury on my reputation and career, and I'm not endorsing these individuals, but just this is a new statement that was on the news and uh, said that the outlet has defamed Mr. Freeman. And uh, it says, at a minimum, CNN immediately needs to issue a retraction and apologize to Mr. Freeman through the same channels and with the same level of attention that is used to unjustly attack him. And the attorney sent a letter to them, and then they just doubled down 
And they issued a statement saying the network stands by its story. The unfounded accusations made by Mr. Freeman's lawyer are disappointing and are difficult to reconcile with Mr. Freeman's own public statements in the aftermath of the story. And so he's being accused by, of sexual harassment, inappropriate behavior, and uh, going on. And he, and then uh, it is um, Morgan Freeman responds as well. And honestly, this is a statement that we don't know the truth yet. Nothing has come out. We don't know if it will go on. But what it brings to light is what often happens, especially being in the public eye, they're always going to try to search out and determine your integrity, and there will be false accusations against him. And I'm sure there has been against you, if you've ever had a false accusation against you. Have you ever had a false accusation against you? Just raise your hand. All right, some of you have. And uh, what occurs is that there are those who are going to, maybe even in school, in college, wherever you're at, at your work, there are people who are going to malign you and say something against you. But as a believer, how do we re respond? Because there are some who say, well, you should just allow everything to occur. Don't fight back at all. And then there's some who are like, I want justice. This needs to be corrected, and uh, we need to deal with this issue. And so we're going to look at an example from Old Testament New and from the Old Testament and New Testament. And these remi remind you just these are characteristics of how they responded in these situations. And importantly, as we saw even in 1 Samuel 18, to behave wisely. I think that's an important key. But going back to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and looking at verse 4 to 7. So we'll go back to 1 Samuel 24 verses 4 through 7. I think we see some characteristics that are important here. And here, David is being chased by King Saul. And you may not be chased by a monarchy who has a few more resources to come after you. But think about this. Imagine the government someday may come after you, and you won't have the resources to be able to fight back as well. I mean, think about it if an insurance company or the IRS comes after you. They have a few more resources. Imagine if the Department of Justice comes after you, you know, and they take you to court. You don't have the resources that are available. But here... We see what takes place in verse, 1 Samuel 24, verses uh, 4 through 7. It states, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And then it happened that David is troubled by this. And he says to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing against my, my master and the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing as he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words. Let me give you some background. What is taking place? Saul has been pursuing David all over. And it was, it's just if you think about a battle, whereas here's Saul's men, here that he's here. They go over here, and Saul's men are secretly passing by the other side of the mountain. And uh, talk about being pursued. And having the resources. I think of um, Eric Snowden. And if you think about one who was NSA trying to be captured and finally sought refuge in a different country. But here, Saul is pursuing David. And finally, they are so close that there's this cave. And David and his men are back in this cave in the mouth. And it says that, Dave, um, that Saul came in. And the words in the New King James says that the 3,000 men are pursuing David and his, and his men, and it says that Saul went in to attend to his needs. 
And as we think of euphemism, it simply means that went in to go to the bathroom. And uh, here in part of the cave, it would have gone in a little bit. Don't think of a small opening. This is probably a larger area cave. Went in there, so Saul is in there, and he is vulnerable. And enough so that obviously he had to take off his royal garb and everything, and, and is going to the restroom, and David sneaks up on him. And his men say, hey, kill him. Now you can kill your enemy. Well, the first thing I think we see here is that um, an example of controlling your emotions. He behaved himself wisely. David could have killed his enemy and ended his problem. He could have said, all his men, let's take him. It instantly would have ended uh, the, the kingdom of Saul. And David, he prevented his men and convinced them not to harm the king, God's anointed. And I think it's an important reminder for us as Christians that sometimes we want to win the battle, but we don't think about the larger war or the repercussions of our actions. And there's going to be political differences. There's going to be times where you, know, you are wronged and maligned, and you want to seek vengeance on that individual. And many of us have been there and looking at, oh, you, know, you just want them to get their just due because they have wronged you so much. But I think it's important, first of all, to just to take a moment as we see characteristics to control our emotions because will that ultimately solve the problem? Well, that may resolve the issue of them attacking you personally, but what will, have, what will the lasting consequences be? And so David chooses a different method. And the second thing we see, it says, confront the accuser. And while many of us don't like confrontation, confrontation is difficult for many of us. And uh, done well, sometimes it's very necessary. It's not just uh, if your emotions are under control in the right path, I, uh, in the right circumstances, I think it's important. But looking at these characteristics, David chooses to confront them. Now notice he didn't just go up to the king and say, hey, you and I have a beef. This is what you've done. He keeps his distance a little bit. He allows Saul to go back to his men, and then he confronts him. But it is a personal confrontation. And as we see here, sometimes this requires us to confront the accuser, per se, face to face. Sometimes we just want to call. Sometimes we want to do uh, the, the, um, through a letter. There are those who write open letters and don't sign it. There are those who write a letter and say, hey, so-and-so did this. Well, I think sometimes we have to confront individuals. And that's a difficult thing for us. Because naturally, our emotions take over. Whenever there's someone who disagrees with us and you look at it, what occurs is that it becomes an emotional argument. And the danger, even in the United States, there is emotional attachment. And years in past in history, differing sides could come into a disagreement and would listen civilly to one another. And I think we've lost that in our country. It has been polarized in that here's this viewpoint and here's this viewpoint. And it's not civil, whereas you listen and decide, oh, understanding. It's all about trying to get your voice across. And, it, and if your voice isn't loud enough, it just you're, they're trying to crush the voices. It's all about being, oh, well, I'm right. And I think that even as a Christian, it's important that we, you know, there are going to be people that we disagree with. Uh, many who, with a, a viewpoint that is anti-biblical. But I think it's important to sometimes listen to them and to be able to think, even talk about them because 
there may be events that occurred in their life that may be why they had that point. And then learning to ask questions. Because even when it comes to the cross and salvation, what has often happened in evangelism is that we want to give all the answers. And nowadays in evangelism, sometimes where they're at, some of the same vocabulary, terminology, even sinfulness, understanding where they're at. It's, we haven't changed the gospel. The gospel is the same. The message is the same. But what has happened is we have to now change and help um, weed out the distortion. The distortion, if to give you an example, is, is if you were to come up to someone and they were listening to the radio, news, whatever, you have to remove the distraction, first of all, or remove the noise or reduce the volume so that you can hear what they're saying. And then you have to determine what are they saying. And it is challenging. As we even go back to Acts, do they understand who God is or their conception? We have people who are growing up and have no idea of who Christ is. They say that they believe in a God, but that God may be this God or who is the God that they believe in. So as we confront the accuser, we must understand, first of all, the arguments, looking at that, confront them to try to, okay, what is going on? And as this must be done in a safe environment with others around. I would not encourage you to go up to someone who's wronged you, go to their door and say, hey, you've wronged me. That can be a very dangerous situation, okay? Even in public. I think that it needs to be done in a safe environment. If you look at David, if David went up to his men and said, by the way, I want to let you know that you're wrong, they might have killed him right away. But David did it in a safe environment. He was probably on the other side of the mountain. So there was distance in between as he speaks to him. There was a safety message there. But sometimes, you know, removing the emotion, but also understanding in that confrontation how it was done. And even in person, because people respond differently in person than they do over the phone or in writing, in social media. Sometimes people will say anything because you can hide behind your words. But when you have to back up your words, all of a sudden, there's a person visible in front of you. And they, they sometimes change their tone. And it's important to address that. And also there are witnesses. Because sometimes the witnesses, say it's at a work environment where someone has wronged you. If you do it in a, in a setting where they have wronged you. Remember, a good, a good example I could have gone to back to is Galatians. Peter. Where, whereas Peter did not wrong um, Paul, but he did do wrong. And it was confronted in a public setting because that's where it took place. And so Paul confronts that and says, hey, this is what takes place. It was an environment where there were witnesses. And even as we look at verse 8, it says, David also rose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, and he showed respect. He humbly bowed down because of the position that Saul was in. But then also, not only confrontation, we see the clarification of the error. Okay? And sometimes it is easy to um, have a confusion about what truth is. First of all, people define truth differently, but a misconception of something that you did wrong, misinterpret. Sometimes we judge immediately and think the worst about a person because of their past. While we may be right 75% of the time, what happens to the other 25? 
And it's important that we clarify the error. And here in verse 8 to 10, it talks about David arose afterward. And he says, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you to my hand into the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And understanding here that uh, the position that Saul was in, but also the respect that David had for him. Let me put it into another words where it says, my eye has not killed you. It says in verse 9, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of people who say, look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against the Lord. It, pity in the sense that saw with my own eyes, I decided not to harm you. And clarifying, so why do you wrong me? Look, I had the opportunity to harm and take your life, but I didn't do it. And identify the perceived issue. And David identifies the perception versus the reality. Because there's a perception. I'll give you an example. If we were to use just the generic term liberals and conservatives, there are many liberals, and there's a book called Bias, and um, I forget the author, but he, um, he writes from the perspective of what happens is many conservatives and many liberals, they only listen to those people who agree with them. And rarely is a crossover. There are some who will listen, and there are those who are very liberal and think that everyone has this idea and concept, and they don't move outside those circles. And sometimes you can't change them. But there are also some conservatives who are only within this small spectrum of, of conservatism that they don't understand, and so they don't engage. And I think it's important to be able to learn how to engage other individuals that believe differently from you. But it depends on the situation because there's some, I'm sure you may have friends, who believe totally different from you and they won't believe anything different. It would take an earthquake and a hurricane to get them to believe something different. But what happens is when it comes down to the biblical issue, when someone has wronged you, and maybe they have wronged you because you're a different political viewpoint from you or you're a Christian and they're not. How do we overcome that perception and how do we have a biblical mindset? You know, when we are wronged, and it might be a Christian, it might not be a Christian. And those of you who have been wronged, it hurts. It is a, you want to retaliate because of what is taking place. And granted, and, but sometimes we have to evaluate and say, is this the right thing to do? What is this? Because, and we'll see even from the New Testament example, but here... David said this is something that needs to be confronted because it was in regards to his life. This was a life or death issue. It might have been uh, an, an important issue that was serious. And so it had to be confronted. It might have been dealt. Imagine if there's an issue at your work or at your work, maybe your past, and it says you could lose your job over this. As a Christian, you could say, well, it's just God's will that I lose my job. But wait a second, it might not be something that you have done. Maybe they're saying that this person has been stealing from the company. Well, that's not true. And so, therefore, there's a confrontation. It says, wait a second, look at this. Look at my record. If there's pure and integrity character, it is going to be seen. Let's look at what is behind this. And so it is addressed. 
And here, one who has true godly character will show by their actions evidence of being wrong. Verse 19, Saul understands that David has acted righteously toward him and recognized God's superintendence in the events. This was one who fears God. In our own world, in our own society, those who don't fear God, we would just have to look at the natural facts. One who does not fear God will behave differently. One who is antagonistic towards you because of godly character will not always change. However, your actions will be a godly example to others you, who witness your response and your actions. What I'm saying is, when it comes down to something that is important, of vital importance that affects your life and your livelihood, you need to stand up for this. As a citizen, your God-given right, you have the privilege and the opportunity to stand up to some of these. But sometimes it becomes a defamation of, oh, your name and character, and determining is it a, an important issue. When it comes, so-and-so said something about me. I was dealing even with a pastor where, you know, we were, um, we were in front of some others and they wanted to defend themselves later. And it wasn't even about the issue. And sometimes we want to defend ourselves to make us look better in the eyes of others. And that's where, you know, we have to evaluate and be aware of it. Because the Bible says, by our fruits you shall be known. And there are some people who are going to believe bad about you no matter what good you do. But when it comes to an important issue that affects your livelihood, that is a serious issue, those need to be dealt with. And so from the Old Testament, we see here, this is how, I think these are characteristics of how it sh shall be done when it is something that needs to be confronted. And granted, there are, are going to be times where we don't want to do it, confront it. But we have to evaluate, is this something that is going to be done? And when that confrontation is done, hopefully, you know, done in a right mindset, it'll be clarified. But even if you are still wrong in that, it'll be an opportunity to be a testimony for Christ in that set of circumstances. But let's look at a New Testament response. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 12. We go to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at the example of Christ. Now granted, we might not have the capabilities or the character of Christ, but we should have the mind of Christ and that if He is our, our example, how do we respond? And verse 5, it says... Chapter 5, verse 5. And I'll be reading, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are, persecuted, uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me just read it also in the Holman Christian. It says, verse 10. And I'm in the wrong book, sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, and it states, Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. <clears throat> you are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we look at here an, an example, 
First of all, as we look at in Matthew, believers will be persecuted for living righteously. And that is the look. So advance that slide, Riley, and says, believers will be persecuted for living righteously. If you are living right before God, and what I mean by righteously, it means of not just morally, but also living a Christ-centered life. And here's where the prosperity gospels and some of those who preach the word of God publicly, they don't tell you that, hey, come to Christ, and sometimes they tell you everything's going to be fine. Well, I'll be honest, it is difficult because when you come to Christ, you are going to face difficulties. You are going to face hardships. But the lessons are you aren't going to be alone. And you will have more peace because in Christ you will be blessed. There is a, a benefit. And here it says, believers who will be persecuted for living righteously. It is not wrong to pursue certain rights that you have as citizens. So let me just hold your spot and just go to a couple other passages. John 15, 18 through 20. John chapter 15, 18 through 20. And it, it, it will get encouraging. Some of these are kind of like, why are you giving us these passages where are, are difficult? But John 15, 18 through 20, it says, Jesus' words, as he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then going on, uh, looking at uh, Philippians 1.29. So go a little farther, go to Philippians 1.29. Paul here, as he gives, writes to the Philippians, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And you might be saying, wait a second, I don't understand this. I didn't sign up for this suffering. What does that mean? Suffering for being a Christian? And then one more is uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12, and it states... Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. And now, granted, we, we use that term persecution. Okay, what does that mean? Persecution. There are those around the world who are suffering persecution for their faith, greater than, than we will ever face. I remember growing up in Russia where they had to meet outdoors in freezing temperatures. Can you imagine if we, had to, if we didn't have a building and I said, okay, we're going to have a 2 o'clock service out here in the parking lot. You know, we wouldn't have very many because it'd be too hot. But just to go through that. And now, and then say, oh, pastor, I hope you don't preach for an hour because we won't be coming. Well, understanding just what we go through and what we face, persecution. And looking at that, what does that mean? But here, it says that believers will be persecuted for living righteously. And here, there is a conditional statement on that. Because as we look at it. When you are living a godly life based upon biblical principles, there are times where you will anger people for your belief and position. 
Think about even coming to church. That can anger some people, husbands and wives, family members. Why do you go to church? Uh, there are many who are saying, oh, I'd rather, I, I remember those who would rather go to football or do something else. It's your only day off. Why go to church? You know, it is a difficult time. But I want you to know that you will be blessed for spending time going to church. Young people, you might look at, why do I have to go to church, sing these songs and words? You will be blessed for following and honoring God. And while you may not think, oh, what does that mean? God has a plan and purpose for your lives. Those who have lived and grown up and think of all the times that you have spent in church or spent for trying to serve the Lord righteously, there will be greater blessings because of, first of all, peace. You know, there are those who could have anything in the world, but they do not have peace. First of all, being in a right relationship with God, that peace is beyond anything. So when things, events occur in your health, in your life, of knowing that God is in control and has a plan, that you can depend upon Him. That is far greater. During these times when you must remember that there are unsaved individuals, they will treat you poorly, hate you, mistreat you. It is not your job to attempt to defend God or even clear your reputation as a believer. Sometimes we think that we have to defend God. We have to clear our reputation as a believer. Sometimes that isn't the case. And as we look at it, your actions may be misinterpreted, but this is a case of the means justifies the ends. True godly character will be lived in a manner to honor God even when others lie about your intentions. There are times where you're going to be maligned. And you can try to defend yourself, and guess what? It won't do any good at all because they're going to believe the bad as because you are a believer. And sometimes it is going to be a case of you're going to have to allow your actions, how you respond to those who are persecuting, how you respond to those who are mistreating you. Because that may be a greater testimony to those around you. And that may be the intent of seeing that. Is that going to be enjoyable? I mean, if we go back to Matthew passage, it says, Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Most of us won't rejoice and be happy that people hate us or people are mistreating us for the, the gospel's sake. And it may not become easily, but... There are those who are going to have a joyfulness or of a, of a peace of knowing that they are in the right relationship with God and the direct will of God. Let me just give you another one. It says, believers will be blessed for living, believers will be blessed for living righteously. Here's one benefit. When you do right and live right, even though others are against you and persecute you, there is blessing in that. I'm not saying that it's material blessings. We don't know, but there is blessing. And oftentimes, as we look at that, there will be those who take care. And as we look at the blessing is limited to the righteous persecution. God does not say if you, if you stand up for God and um, stand up for all the, the moral arguments that you will be blessed. It limits this. And the conditional statement is that for the righteousness sake. In living a godly life. What is righteous according to scripture. Not as right, what is right in your personal estimation. You know there's nothing wrong. You can go and fight for those causes. That you believe are right. And you may face persecution because of this. But here it is limited. 
to the Word of God. And often Christians argue for what they believe is right or correct, but it's not always directly related to the biblical truths. And it is different when our interpretation lies outside the biblical realm and becomes preferences. There are those who are going to die saying, you know, this version or this way of believing or this church is the only way. And they stand up for that. Oh, we're being persecuted for this. I'm being persecuted because I believe this doctrinal belief differently. Well, here it is limited um, in understanding. Persecution comes in many forms. And we are, we are persecuted for holding the biblical truths. It is different. And we must seek the counsel of other godly individuals. And not just those with which we agree with. We must evaluate the biblical truth if it is a true biblical mandate. Or if we are compromising. And here I believe the principle would be 1 Corinthians 8. About me offered unto idols. There are some issues that we believe are very important. But is this an issue of being right before God? When it comes to salvation, I believe that is an important issue because salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone. There are many who believe, well, I believe it's through doing this or that. And we will stand and die. There are certain foundational principles that we believe that this is right. If they said, if the government said to us and said, you need to deny God, you need to deny Christ, that he is God. You know, that's, that would be a challenge because otherwise you're being thrown in prison. Most of us would be saying, well, what about my family? Am I, would I be willing to risk that? But there are those in other countries, in Muslim faiths, right. in, in different countries who are being persecuted and faced with that. Right. And some might say, well, they don't have to give up anything. But they do. And think about the sacrifices. But I would even encourage you young people, whatever, wherever you're at, young people, seniors, olders, where you're at, would you be willing to... Say, I would stand up for Christ. Thankfully, we haven't had to. And I think that God knows that because if he were all of a sudden, we were turned into where we were persecuted, there'd be a lot less Christianity. But right now, we have that opportunity. And for, as a pastor, I really want to encourage you to grow in your faith because you might not be there yet. You might not be able to even stand up against those who who are outside of Christianity, to say, well, this is my faith. I will stand up for this. Because it begins there, understanding what you believe and why, and is it worth standing up for? Some of these principles. But here, believers need the mind of Christ. And that's where it comes about. How do you come to that point where you're willing to risk your life for Christ? It didn't happen naturally. But because of the commitment, your faith is in the object, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that is so valuable. Understanding that. It's not about what you lose. It's about what you gain. And believers need to have the mind of Christ. Whether it's forgiving those who have wronged us. Or allowing the wrong against us to go unpunished. It may never be easy. But it will have eternal impact. And I thought what would be a way for us to understand. What would be we be willing to give up. When it comes to sacrifice. When those who have wronged us. Because I'll be honest. I'm with you. We want justice. We want the right to be wronged. But could you ever, if everyone, if someone wronged you in, in such a severe fashion, maybe they stole everything you had. How would we respond? We respond with, I want it back. But suppose it were in a, in a situation where to stand up for Christ. How would we respond? And maybe you've heard of the voice of the martyrs. 
and they're very impactful. But I just want you to share a testimony. This is a testimony that's going to be put on the screen. Of His name is Habila. And he speaks a little, you'll have to listen. I, I'm going to have him put the volume up. He speaks with an accent, but he also speaks a little bit out of the side of his mouth, like someone who's had a stroke. But it's not a stroke. I want you to try to listen carefully as this comes up. So Riley, if you would put that up. And just listen to this testimony. And then afterwards, we'll just take a moment to just reflection. On November 28, 2012, at 11 o'clock, Habila is shot in front of his wife and six-year-old child. It's because he refuses to deny Christ. The government came to my house, threw into my house, four of them with AK-47. They ordered me to come out with my family and they ordered my family to go out so that I will sit in their front. The leader asked me why are we strengthening Islam? You refuse to accept Islam as a religion. I told them that I am a Christian. One of them now asked me, are you ready? Die as a Christian, I told him, Yes, I'm ready to die as a Christian. Now they shoot me through my nose. When they shoot me from here, I fell down the ground with my face. Blood everywhere. He followed me and wiped my leg. No response. Now he observed me, no response. I'm on the ground. Blood, blood, blood. I do not see anything. Only a duck. So I, on my thinking, I am waiting to see the new kingdom, the new heaven that God promised to his people. Although Habila could save his life by converting to Islam, this isn't a serious option for him. The Bible says that we are a new creator in Christ Jesus. If I'm a new creator in Christ Jesus, does everything that I'm supposed to do, I will do it like Christ did. If we go through Bible, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Jesus says that, uh, Paul says that, we are already dying, but now it's Christ is living. A Christian or a believer will know that he is not the one living because during the baptism now, you are baptized as you die with sin and rise to Jesus. Hmm. That's what my thinking is. I will not be a Muslim because I die well. Christ, no, no, I rise with Christ. For nine hours, Habila lies on the ground, bleeding without any kind of help. The police promises to come, but doesn't. The next day, the local hospital in Podeskoum, the city where Habila lives, is not able to give sufficient aid. By car, Habila is moved to another hospital, four more hours away. In this hospital too, the doctors are not capable to help Habila. The wound to his head is too complicated. Again, Habila is transported to another hospital. This is the actual what has happened. This is where the village has entered. 
he broke all these places. And you see, he, this is exist place where the blessed go now. All these wounds are not there. He broke all the wounds that are here. My heart is broken. They are using a tube in order for me to feed and to have the water. Once more, Habila is confronted with many misfortunes. For several reasons, the doctors are not able to operate on Habila sooner than six weeks after the attack. At last, on the day of operation, a great miracle happens. During the operation, the, operation, the doctor advised to take a wound from here, from my leg. From my leg, they will cut off the bone from here and some flesh from here to cover this place. To cover the place. But that day there is a miracle that happened. They find fresh bone here. After all this planning, we did not see that one. Also, the plant transplantation of skin is no longer necessary. The wound in Havila's face has almost vanished. Four months after the attack, Habila is feeling better. He doesn't feel any hatred against the extremists who shot him. The Bible says that we must, it's a must, as a Christian, you must forgive. I'm teaching my child that let him remember, I will say that, let him forgive. Because God has forgiven us, we are a condemned criminals that we deserve nothing but to die. But Christ died for our sins. And He forgives all our sins. He loves us. That's why we must show that love to the people that help us. Since that day, I pray to God, God, forgive them. Go forgive them. My intention and my prayer is that let them know the truth and let them be safe, not to be condemned. I love them. You love them really? I love them. I love them. If I have the opportunity to see them, to see them I will help them and I will pray for them. Well, many people who watch through your story will say, how can you do that? God. Because Christ is love. God that I am serving is love. When he is living this world, is sin. The command is love each other. That's the command we can love each other. Habila is sure of the fact that God saved his life for a special reason. It's Abila's mission to convince the whole world of God's love and faithfulness. My friends, God is with you. He will not believe you. You can open up. Open up to Him. Accept Him in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Brethren, the message of this that Jesus loved you.
Shall we pray?